Uh, as we go into the message, uh, we wanted to continue our sermon series on Titus, and it's called Motivation. So if you uh, are able to, you can turn to Titus 2, chapter 2. We're going to read just three verses, uh, verses chapter 2, verse 15, and all the way through chapter 3, verse 2. So just goes over one chapter. And uh, as we look into this book, and as we look into this passage, uh, as we've been going through the book of Titus, we've been talking all about what does it actually look like to live a life that's reflective of the hope that we have, that's reflective of the gospel message that we believe in. And so far, we've talked about a, a good number of different things. We talked about how our influence really is reflective of what we believe in the way that we influence other people, the way that we treat others in the church, whether we're older men or younger men, older women, younger women. We talked about different ways that we ought to develop in our character and our influence as leaders, as influencers in every area of society. And we talked about yesterday how the grace of God, the glory of God ought to actually remind us and motivate us and sustain our motivation into the long run. And as we talk about this, we wanted to get to this passage now. Uh, next week, we're going to finish and, and complete and, and finish studying the book of Titus. But right before that, in these three verses, now Paul is bringing up this topic of authority with Titus and what that actually means for his leadership, what that actually means for how he has to live out the gospel. And as we go into this topic of authority, I, I think it's a, it's a topic that maybe some of us, we've had bad experiences with. Some of us, we've had, you know, difficulty handling, working through, what is authority? And as soon as we hear that word, we get like, whoa, you know, I don't want authority. That doesn't sound like a good thing. It has a very negative connotation. And, and just asking, just participation. Let me get a show of hands. How many of you have some sort of authority that is not the greatest in your life right now. Whether it's a boss, a teacher, a pastor, a life group leader. Some of you are raising your hands. And the question is, how many of us, we know how to work through those relationships? How do we actually work through and be able to engage with different types of authority in our lives? Do we actually know how to do that? Do we do it gracefully? Do we do it, do we do it lovingly? Or are we just stumbling and falling, falling throughout the days or the weeks. So there's this video, it's, it's done by a, a company, called, or it's, a, it's kind of a news company, a marketing agency that does business-specific articles. It's called Fast Company. And they do a video that talks about telltale tell, uh, tell traits of bad bosses and how do you deal with them, all right? And so what I want us to do is watch some of these videos and get a glimpse of maybe you've experienced this boss in your life. Maybe you've had a teacher like this. Maybe you've had a coach like this. What I want us to do is put ourselves in this situation. What would you do? How would you respond? And is the advice that they give will actually help you in your day-to-day -day as we learn how to deal with authority? So let's watch this video together. All right, how many of us have bosses like that? All right. Some of us are very honest. Hopefully your boss is not here right now. <laughs> well, whether we like it or not, we always have to deal with some kind of authority in our lives. Whether it's you're, you're a professor, uh, could be your boss at work, could be a family member, could be a, a father or a mother. And some of us, we might have examples like this that we saw that are like, oh my goodness, how do I deal with that? But how many of us, we avoid it and we ignore it pretending that somehow authority doesn't exist in our lives. And we actually just numb away the actual situation without actually realizing how do we engage in a healthy way with the authority that already exists into our lives. In fact, if we think about it, our view of authority, it affects every aspect of our lives. If, if, if let's say you have the best day at work and your boss comes and nags at you, of course it's going to change your whole mindset. Let's say you go home and your, your spouse or your kids are throwing a fit and then your parents call. What happens? That, that sense of authority, whether the, how much authority they have over your life or not, it affects you. It affects your mood. It affects your temperament. It affects every area of our lives. We can't get away from it. And so authority can either be something that we get crushed by 
or we can allow it to be something that we can actually flourish under. And what's going to change the way that we view authority is how we see our authority in the biblical sense, how we see God's authority over our lives. So there are a couple of things that I want us to talk about this morning, two questions that I want us to answer. Uh, we want to talk about what gives people authority. How do we actually find authority in our lives? And also we want to answer the question of how should authority actually affect us? And there are going to be two points that we're going to talk about that really answers these questions. The first point as we get into Titus is that authority grows from our example. Authority grows from our example. You're just like, what does that actually mean? Let's, we'll read uh, Titus. Uh, let's first read Titus 2, uh, verse 15. Just verse 15. We're actually not going to read uh, chapter 3, but just read Titus 2, verse 15. If you don't have the Bible passage, then hopefully turn to your neighbor and hopefully they'll share with you. Um, otherwise, you can also download the HMCC app and on the Google Play Store, App Store, follow along with our fill-in notes and the passages will be there. So let's read Titus 2, verse 15. It says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. Okay, so in this passage, we see uh, right off the bat that Paul is now speaking to Titus, and he gives a, he gives a command. He says, declare, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. And when he says this, this is the end of chapter 2, and that, that phrasing, declare these things, these things refers to all the previous things that Paul had told Titus about in chapter 2. In the beginning of chapter 2, he said, teach these things that accord with sound doctrine. And he began to give this list. Older men should be responsible. Uh, older women should treat uh, people in the church this way. You should live self-controlled lives, etc., etc., etc. Those are the things that Paul is saying. Now, Titus, declare these things. Exhort, rebuke even to the point that you have to. And the key word there is with all authority. With all authority. The only way that Titus is able to do these things is because he has that authority. But our question for this morning is where does that authority really come from? How do we grow to become people of authority. How did Titus become someone? Or how will Titus become someone with authority? Where does that authority come from? Authority, like I mentioned before, it's, it's a contentious issue in our day. It's oftentimes misunderstood. So for us to understand where authority comes from, we have to understand what is authority? What is authority? According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the definition of authority is there are four things here given by Merriam-Webster. Number one, power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. Number two, persons in command. Number three, an individual cited or appealed to as an expert. Or number four, grounds, warrant, or convincing force. Those are four different understandings of what our society sees as authority. And if we look at it, it actually fairly consistently represents the different ways that we see authority in our lives. We think about power to influence, it's, it's power, it's control. Someone who is stronger, someone who is bigger, someone who has more ability. The second one, persons in command, usually what does that mean? It's someone who's in uh, a position or a title because they've, given, they've been given this, this platform by someone else. The third one, an individual cited or appealed to as, ex, as an expert, what do we consider that authority? Usually it comes from experience. Oftentimes we look at someone who has a lot of experience and then we assume that they're an authority in something. The fourth one, grounds, warrant, or convincing force. Some kind of influence or example that determines that authority. So there are these four things. And the question for us today is, are these things enough? Each of them, either individually or altogether, are they enough? to constitute real authority for us to be able to do what it is that God has called us to do. How many of us, you know that you actually need authority to be able to live out the Christian life that you've lived out? No, none of us, we don't live our Christian life by ourselves. Is that right? We all live it in community. So what gives you the right to be able to encourage someone? You say, I, I just do that. You know, we're told to. That's normal. That's human being. Well, what, what gives you that authority? What gives you the ability? What gives you the knowledge? What gives you the right to encourage someone? 
Of course, if you were to ask, what gives you the right to rebuke someone, then you're like, oh yeah, you need some kind of authority for that. Only life group leaders can rebuke people. Only the pastors can rebuke people. Man, I, when I was talking with the pastor, I got rebuked so hard. It was so good. Sometimes we have this interesting view of authority and leadership that only certain people can do certain things. But in fact, everything that you do, it has to come from some source of authority, some source of power, some source of position or title. And so let's look into these different aspects of authority. Because oftentimes, our view of authority, like we mentioned before, will dictate and determine how we live. Either we're going to respond well because we have that authority, or we respect that authority, or the other option is that we will not respond well because we don't feel like we have that authority or we don't respect that authority. There's no in-between. Either we will respond well or we won't. And it's dictated by our view of how credible that authority is. Let's look at the first part of that definition. Power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. Just imagine for a moment. Imagine for a moment that power was the source of all authority. Parents, you'd be super happy, right? Parents, you're stronger, you're bigger than your kids, and so you could do whatever you want with them. Parents, how is that going to go over? Probably not too well, right? Your kids are going to be totally rebellious. They're not going to listen to anything that you say. On the flip side, let's say power, let's say authority comes only from power. And let's say you see someone getting abused, someone getting hurt, someone getting uh, attacked in some kind of way because they are physically stronger, physically bigger. Are you going to stand there and do nothing? Let's say it's your friend. Let's say it's your brother, your sister. And oftentimes this is what happens in domestic abuse cases. It's because just because someone is physically bigger or stronger, then they have some that power or that authority over that other person. But when we look at that example of authority coming simply from power, it's something it doesn't sit well with us. We would say, no, power is not a sufficient gauge of authority. Because if you look at power as the only source of authority, what does that lead to? It leads to abuse. It leads to hurt. It leads to tragedy. And many of us, we've been the recipients of that. So we cross off power as the only source of authority. That's the second thing, title or position. Person's a command. Most of us, we hate this, right? We hate it by people who are simply in authority because of their title or position. Simply because they have a doctorate degree. Simply because they have a manager tag attached to their name card. Simply because they are the council, student council vice president. You're like, man, I can't believe they're the president. I should have been president. Or simply because they're the group leader. Who made them group leader? they, they, They don't know what they're talking about. What happens when title or position is the only source of authority? What happens to us? It leads to disillusionment. It leads to giving up. It leads to hopelessness. Because when we don't have that title or authority, or when someone who's in authority, who only has that title, only has that position, but no credibility, it causes us to want to do nothing. And we don't respect that person. So it's not power. It's not title or position. How about experience? Is authority experiential? And of course, I think it's great in our church. Many of us, we, we, we engage in relationships. And, you know, for many of us, we're a little bit further along in our spiritual journey. And we say, hey, you know, we find some other people who are a little bit younger than us in their spiritual journey. And we say, hey, you know, let me, let me help you. Let me teach you how to read the word. Let me teach you how to pray. Let me teach you what it looks like to follow God. And I think that's great. That's awesome. But the flip side of that is, what happens when you don't feel like you have any experience? What happens when you don't feel like you have the years of prayer life built up so that you are known as this prayer warrior? How many of us, we we feel like we're prayer warriors? I thought so. Does that mean none of us can teach each other to pray? No. That means authority can't come only from experience because either we're going to get really proud 
Or on the other side, we're going to get really insecure. So authority cannot only come from experience. Well, what's the fourth thing? The fourth definition is that grounds warrant in convincing force. This is really authority that comes from influence. It comes from example. It comes from the evidence of how you live your life. It comes from the evidence, the day-to-day, the things that you do, the things that you do not do. This is what Paul is arguing for, for where authority comes from. And so we might ask, Paul, why does authority have to come from example? Where do we see this? That's why earlier in Titus 2, verse 7 to 8, I'll just read it for us, it's not up there. He says, and this is just a couple of verses before this passage that we're studying. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. He's saying, if you are to declare, if you are to exhort, if you are to rebuke with all authority, your authority comes from the way that you live your life. It comes because you're a model of the life that you want to live. It comes because the way that you model your life is the way that you want others to live that same life. That's what gives you credibility. That's what allows people to see, you know what, actually it's possible. And not only is it possible, it's admirable. It's something that I want to strive for. It's something that I see and you know what, it's, it's good. How many of us, we live lives like that? We live in such a way where someone's like, you know what, wow, I want that kind of life. Or do people look at your life and they're like, I don't want that kind of life. How many of us, we like spend our days, our evenings on YouTube all the time. And our greatest contribution to society is we learn how cats and dogs play together. And they're best friends. Right? That's our biggest contribution to society. Is someone going to say, you know what, I I want your life. I want that kind of life. I'm so thrilled and I admire life so, so much. Do we live those kind of lives? Do we live lives where people are like, you know what, wow, that is an example that I want to follow. That is an example that I want to, I want to be like that. And because of your example, that makes me want to follow Christ. That makes me want to love God that much more because I want to know where your life comes from. Let's, let's look at it from a different angle. You can have authority either by coercion or by persuasion. And we talked about this in the previous week. What is a more powerful motivator? Is it fear or is it love? Which one? Raise your hand. Fear, love. Fear, love. Okay, some of you are still like neither, right? YouTube is my biggest motivator. Both are effective, actually. If you really look into psychology, fear is a really powerful motivator. Extremely powerful motivator. You can use fear to get people to do a lot of different things. The question is, what is the biblical motivation? What is it that God wants us to be motivated by? What is it that allows us to say, you know what, I want to live a life of example so that other people can see who God is. God's way of motivating people is through love. He says what? Perfect fear, sorry, perfect love casts out all fear. John Stott, he summarizes this, this concept. He says, the authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but love. Not force, but example. Not coercion, but reason persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. I think what he's saying, it it makes so much sense. Power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves enough to serve. How many of you have seen leaders who are not humble, who don't do the right things, And they expect you, they tell you to do certain things that they never do themselves. That's why in our church we always tell leaders, you you shall not, you will not, you cannot expect someone to go somewhere to do something that you will not willingly do for yourself. That's an expectation, that's a standard that we hold our leaders to in our church. 
That's why some of you are like, oh, I want to be a leader. You know you don't. You do not want to be a leader in our church. Because the standard expectation that we hold our leaders to is a high expectation, a high standard. And you're wondering, why are my leaders at every single gathering? They have nothing better to do with their lives? No, of course, they have so many better things to do with their lives. Or, I don't know, better in the godly sense. Maybe they want to do other things with their lives. But why is it that we ask our leaders to commit to, you know what, we want you to be all in. We want you to be loving people. We want you to spend extra time meeting up with your members, loving your LCGs, spending time planning for life or preparing these Bible studies. Why? Because we want them to be an example. We want them to learn to love and to humble themselves. For us to humble ourselves, to say, you know what, God, it's not about my life. It's not about my wants. It's not about my desires. It's not about my comfort. Because if I genuinely, I truly love people, that means I'm willing to sacrifice some of my own hopes, my own dreams, my own desires, so that someone else can experience God in the way that I've experienced. Because you know what? God is enough for me. That's why we hold leaders to such a high example and high standard. But it's not just leaders. This is the standard for all Christians, all areas of our lives, that we ought to be good, that we ought to be loving others, that we ought to be self-controlled, that we ought to be encouraging, gentle, faithfulness. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are those the things that we live out? Are those the things that we experience every day? And do we set that example for other people? I think one of the things that I, I uh, struggled with a lot recently or in the past couple years uh, in my job is uh, actually just that, setting the example for many teachers that I work with. My job is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm helping a professor do a research project for education technology. And what we do is we encourage teachers to record videos to convert their teaching materials into an online format using our platform to deliver new content. And so for the past three or four years, like, Everything that we do is geared toward like trying to convince and encourage the teachers to make videos, record videos. But what I had to confess is I never actually know how hard it is to actually make a video. So actually this past week, I, I had to record a video uh, for a competition that I was part of. And it was just a one minute video. We asked the teachers to record like 10, 15, 20 minute videos. I just had to record a one minute video. That was it. And it was the most excruciatingly painful experience I've ever been part of. Like, some of you are like, wow, Pastor, you, it must be easy for you. You like talking all the time and your sermons go so long. Talking must be easy for you. No, it's hard, okay? It's difficult. And it was just for one minute. And I was sitting there in front of the camera. I was like, oh my God, I'm like so nervous. I'm like shaking. I'm talking to my colleague, like, you want to do it? And they're like, no, <laughs> right? I'm like, please, you know, switch with me because I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to be behind the camera because I don't know why, but when you're behind the camera, you just feel like naked. You're like, oh my God, why? Like, they see every aspect of you and then it's recording. It could be, and then I had to do it like four or five times and every single time after we did the recording, the videographer guy, he would like turn the monitor and say, hey, you watch yourself again. I'm like, no, you know, because when you hear yourself recorded, your voice is like the most awkward thing. And you're, you, you see every body motion that you make. You're like, oh my God, do I do that? And it was like the most, oh my, I was like, wow, I can't believe that I'm doing this right now. And I was like, wow. It's so, and I, as soon as I did that, I was like, wow, mad respect for all the teachers who actually record videos. And I just realized, wow, I have zero credibility for the teachers that I'm trying to encourage to record videos. And I don't realize just how hard it is just how difficult it is. And I'm like, no wonder no teachers actually believe me. No wonder it's been so difficult to persuade and convince teachers to do something that we're trying to encourage them to do. And what would be the best strategy and what we're trying now is having other teachers who have already recorded videos share with teachers who haven't yet to tell them the benefits and their experiences. And of course, that's working out much better than me trying to do it because I'm not a teacher. And, and I give that example because my question for us is how many of us, we've actually lived out what we tell other people to live out? How many of us, we've actually taken the things that we say we say, the, the things that we say we believe, and we actually live it out? 
We tell other people, you know what, you should read the Bible. How many of us were consistent and faithful for reading our Bible? We tell other people, you know what, you ought to forgive and love that person. How many of us, we have people we cannot forgive that we cannot love? We tell that person, you know what, you shouldn't be procrastinating. But how many of us were so focused every single day at work? We don't do anything but work at work. Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> That's you. It's, it's incredible how many things that we say or we tell other people to do that we don't do. We don't hold ourselves to the same standard that we hold other people. And that's why people are so irritated and frustrated with the hypocrisy in the church. Because the very things that we teach and preach and tell other people to do, we never do ourselves. This is what Jesus had the biggest problem with the Pharisees. Was what? Because they told all these people to do all these other things. They told them to fast. They told them to pray. They told them to give. They told them to love God. But what did the Pharisees do? They just lived for themselves. They didn't help anyone. They just did everything for their own selfish gain. But it was Jesus who actually lived it out for himself. Instead of lording that authority, instead of using the title, instead of using the power that he had, instead of using experience, Jesus probably knew the whole Bible and more before the Bible was even written. But he didn't use that against people. What did he do? He set the example himself. When he told, people, when he told the disciples to feed the 5,000, what did he say? What did they say? I can't, I can't do this. And what did he do? He fed the 5,000. When he told the disciples to love one another, what did he do? He was the first one to wash their feet. He was the first one to get down, do something that in that time no teacher should have done, should have been a servant or a slave. But he was the first one to set the example to say, you know what, I'm going to wash your feet. And as I have washed your feet, so you are to love one another the same way that I have loved you. How is it that we view authority in our lives? Is it purely power? Is it purely title? Is it purely example? Or is it really the example that Christ set for us? The example that we live out, that gives us the credibility to say, you know what? There's a God that I believe in that you ought to believe in as well. There's someone that I serve, some power that I love, that defines my whole life that I want you to know as well. Do we live those kind of lives? Just for food for thought, what kind of example are we at work? How about our family? How do we interact with them? Are you nice? Are you loving? Are you kind? Or as soon as you get back to your family life, you're, you're angry, you're abusive, you're frustrated, you're, you're quick-tempered. In your classroom, are you an example to your fellow classmates? With your friends, are you first one that is quick to forgive? Are you the least argumentative? Are you the least defensive? Are you first to admit that you're wrong? Are you first to go the second mile for someone else? How we live, the example that we set, reflects what kind of authority that we believe in. Because if we believe in purely an authority that's based on power, based on title or positions, based on experience, then we're not actually going to live out the life that God actually wants us to live. That's the life that we have to live, a life of example, if we want to have any semblance of biblical authority. And this is one, one argument that people might come at when we get to this point. Some might say, you know what? I don't have that kind of example. I don't have that kind of credibility. You know what? I don't want that credibility. In fact, I don't want any of that authority. And I, don't, I, don't, I just want to live my simple, innocent Christian life and not do anything. I, I'm not going to bother people. I'm just going to live my own hermit life and just mind my own business, okay? And I'm sure not many of us go to the extreme where you're saying, okay, I'm going to live in seclusion and isolation from everyone. But I would say many of us, we have the mentality of, you know what? I, I can't live that kind of life. I, I don't have that. And I don't want to have anything to do with authority. But if example was the only measure that indicated authority, that might be true. But does Paul explicitly say, you know what? 
example is the only way that you ought to live out your authority? No. Let's look at that second part of verse 15. Verse 15b in the Amplified, it says, Let no one disregard or despise you. Conduct yourself and your teaching so as to command respect. So we look at this and we say, you know what? He's, he's talking about example again. But what does it mean to let no one disregard or despise you? What does it mean to live in a way so that no one will say things, no one will look down upon you? Another translation is, let no one look down upon you. Why ought we not to let people despise us? What, because what happens, if we don't live a good enough example, then won't people despise us? Won't people look down on us? How many of us can actually live a perfect life? None of us. No one here is able to live perfectly so that no one could say anything bad about us. So does that mean, Paul, by logical argument, no one is able to have any kind of authority? That, that's, that's the logical conclusion. Therefore, if no one has the perfect example and we are to let no one despise us, therefore, no one is able to fully live out this biblical example of authority. But that's a one-sided view of the argument. There's something beyond just performance for any semblance of what it looks like to live this Christian life. The only way that we continue to live on despite what people think is if our motivation, if, it's our, if our rationale for living by example doesn't come from what people think of us on the outside, but comes from what we believe on the inside. That's the only way. It can't come from how good your performance is according to everyone else. It can't come from because you do a certain thing, you do your soap enough times, and then you get the praise and you know, all the applause from your LCG. Yay, you did your soap today. It can't come from that. It has to come from somewhere inside. It has to come from something that is outside of what we see as the external. Otherwise, we're going to be discouraged. Otherwise, we're going to be devastated. Otherwise, we'll have no credibility. Paul, he talks about this. where He says, let no one despise you. In another letter to another disciple that he had named Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 11 through 14. I'll read it in the ESV. The bold or the yellow... Uh, Words, I want you to say it with me, okay? So let's read it. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So again, we see that. He's encouraging Timothy. Set the example. And remember, we're, we're, we're right now discouraged by this. Because we're like, you know what, God? We can't set the example. We can't be perfect. But let's continue on. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Where did Timothy's motivation, where did his ability to live out that example come from? Was it because his performance was so good? Was it because he was the perfect disciple? Was it because he was all that? The perfect Christian? No. Paul is saying, devote yourself to these things because what? Because you've been given a gift. It was given to you. It didn't come from yourself. It didn't originate from your ability. It didn't originate from your performance. So many of us, were so locked and loaded into this works-based mentality of life, of Christianity that says, you know what? We're only worth how much we're able to do. My credibility is only based on my ability to follow all the commands, do all the right things, live out the perfect Christian life. But no in the Bible does it say that. The reason why the ability to live and command and teach these things and set the believers in an example comes because this gift was given to you. This gift was given to you freely. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it. Timothy, a, a, a group of people, a council of elders, they laid their hands on you and as they prayed, the Spirit just gave you these gifts. It wasn't because of you. Paul, he echoes the same thing about his own authority. In Titus 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. 
entrusted by someone else, not by Paul, not by his ability. Galatians 1.1, ESV. Paul, let's read it together, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's authority, and many of us, we would be like, wow, Paul was a great man. But his authority, his example, his ability came what? Not from himself, not from any man, not from himself, not from anyone else. Came from God. And I'm wondering, when we fully understand that authority comes from our example, the ability to live out the example, the willingness to live out that example, the motivation to live out that example, where does it come from? It comes because we were chosen. It comes because we were selected. It comes because God gave us the ability. God gave us the love. God gave us the hope. God gave us his son so that we could live out this life that he has called us to. When we understand this properly, that authority comes from our example, and that authority and that appointing comes from God's choosing his gift, then our lives are going to be totally different, the way that we live it out. Because we're no longer living it out based on fear, based on performance, but we're living it out out of love. Let's make it this goal this week to let our example, example flow from God's example, flow from God's love, flow from God's approval for us. Let's continue on. As we talked about what gives people authority and what gave Titus' authority, we also want to ask the question, how should authority really affect us? How does it impact our lives day to day? And so the second point that we want to talk about, not only that authority grows from our example, but authority governs our lifestyle. Authority governs our lifestyle. Let's read the last two verses, Titus 3, 1 to 2. It says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. As now Paul is trying to wrap up the remaining, just last chapter, Titus 3 is the last chapter of the book of Titus. He gives seven different directions. So we ask this question, how does authority impact our lifestyle? And we notice Paul gives seven directions for the people. He's telling Titus, remind them these seven things. These seven things, I'm going to list them for us really quickly. It says, be submissive, be obedient, be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy. Well, what do those things actually mean? What, what does it actually have for us when it comes to authority? Because he mentions it again here in verse 1. The first two things that we notice is, is be submissive and be obedient. When we look at that, we're like, you know what? This is, this is, this, these are the verses that get us a little bit irritated. We're like, you know, God, is this really true? Should I really buy into this? Do I really believe this? And, and oftentimes we get upset because it tells us to be submissive to authorities. But what if, what if the authority is not a good authority? What if it's not in my best interest? Because what? We have such a distrust in authority in our lives today, especially today, especially what's going on in Hong Kong. Don't raise your hand. How many of us, we fully trust in the government? How many of us, we fully trust in law enforcement? How many of us, we fully trust in the well-being of good people to actually do the right thing day to day? I would say most of us have zero trust, very, very little confidence in any of those quote-unquote authorities above us today. So why is it that Paul is saying be submissive and be obedient? Because when it comes to authority, like I mentioned earlier, there's only two choices that we have. You either be fully submissive or you're completely antagonistic. Either you're compliant or you're rebellious. Those are the only two logical conclusions that you can You can maybe, okay, okay, I got to obey sometimes and rebel other times, right? But what are these different views? If you're, if you're rebellious, what does that mean? It means you don't trust in any authority. That all authority is not to be obeyed, and who's your ultimate authority then? If, you're, if you subscribe to the rebellious side, let's say you, know, you feel like, okay, I, I ought not to submit to authority, especially human or man-made authority, so therefore, I'm in the rebellious camp. And some of you are like, I'm not that extreme, but really, if you pick and choose what authority that you listen to, then who's your ultimate authority? Yourself. 
So that's the rebellious side. What's the submissive side? The submissive side are those who say, you know what? No matter what authority is above me, I ought to listen to them. I ought to submit to them. I need to obey because that's what I'm supposed to do. But then the conundrum happens. What happens when the authority that is there is going against what you value, what you believe, or what God is instructing in the, in, in the Word? Both of them have issues. And both of them, Jesus, in the way that he lived his life, he contradicts both views. For those who believe in the rebellious side, what did Jesus do? He actually listened to authorities. When someone knocked on the door that he and his disciples were staying at and said, you have to pay taxes to Caesar, what did Jesus do? He said, go fishing, find a coin, and he paid the tax. She said, why, why would you do that? He said, Jesus, you know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to, you, you have the New Testament, Jesus. The Old Testament's old, it's gone. What did Jesus say? Oh, I've come to fulfill the law. Not to remove, not to get away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. Those of us who we feel like, oh, you know what? Jesus is fully submissive. He did everything according to authority. You know what? He was kind of rebellious. In fact, he, he did nothing the Pharisees wanted him to do. Pharisees asked him a question, and what, you know, what Jesus do? No. He, he just asked him a question back. I'll tell you my answer if you tell me your answer first. Sounds like a first grade conversation, argument. Jesus was rebellious in some aspects as well. So neither sides are fully biblical understandings of submission. Either one, either you're on the rebellious side and you're choosing your own authority, or you're submitting to a man-made authority that is really not from God. But the sad part is so many of us, we fall into either camp. Some of us, we're, we're, you know, we just have a high view and we're like, oh man, I have to do everything that this person says. I have to do everything that this authority says. And I, I, I just got to do it to the best that I can. And you elevate and you exalt that authority, that man-made authority above everything else. And there are things that you do out of fear, out of guilt, out of shame. And by doing that, what are you, who are you ultimately disobeying? You're disobeying God. The others of us, like I mentioned before, you're on the rebellious side and ultimately you're like, you know what, I'm just going to pick and choose whatever authority I believe in. And ultimately you are your own authority. You are God yourself, for yourself. That is one of the scariest positions to be in. You are your own God. You don't submit to any other God. You pick and choose whatever it is that you want to believe in. Whatever it is that you want to do. You, you say you worship God, you really you worship yourself. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 15, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Thank you. Appreciate it. What is he saying? Is he saying... Obey blindly the authorities? Is he saying do whatever you want for yourself? No, he's saying who is your ultimate authority? It's God. God is your ultimate authority. Why do you submit to the rulers and authorities that are man-made? It's because ultimately it's for the Lord's sake. He is the ultimate authority above all authorities. And as you submit to God as your ultimate authority, what happens? That by doing good, by your example, by your life, it shows people something. It communicates something. It puts to silence those who argue against you, who criticize you, who think poorly of you. You become a good example. You become a witness. How many of us, we realize we, we sit in either camp, but really, our authority must be God and God alone. And if we make God alone our authority, then as we serve Him, then that's actually going to allow us, that's going to totally change our lifestyle. That's going to govern our lifestyle. That will determine how we live. That will determine our, our views on the Hong Kong protest situation. It's not going to be determined by what the government says. It's not going to be determined what protesters say. It's not going to be determined what media says. What you believe is determined by what God says in His Word. And the example that you live out is a life that wants to be a witness for all other people. 
Do you live that life? Or are you constantly torn between the two sides? Or by whatever media, whatever social media that you get? Whatever video, latest video comes out? What authority do you submit to? Is it really to God or is it to whatever you want? Let's continue on to the other couple things that he mentions. He says, be ready for every good work. Ephesians 2.10, he says, for we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Every good work. Every good work. That, that, that phrase, be ready for every good work, it's not separate from submitting to the authorities. When you submit to the authorities, that means you're ready for every good work. But who ultimately prepares all the good works for you to do? It's God. It's God. The next three, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle. What kind of attitude, by what kind of authority do we need to see that as? 1 Timothy 3, 3 is an exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy about what it means to be elders or overseers. It says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. What are elders there to do? It's to shepherd the flock of God. Why must they be gentle? Why must they be not quarrelsome? Why must they not speak evil of anyone? It's because what? They want to bring glory to God. They want to shepherd the flock well. They want to encourage people. Because God is their ultimate shepherd, their head shepherd, their ultimate authority. The last one, show perfect courtesy. In some other ways, it's also connected to being gentle, to loving, and to be kind to one another. In 2 Timothy 2, 25, it says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth. Did you see that? What's, that? what's the purpose of being gentle, of being kind, not showing evil to anyone? So that someone, perhaps, perhaps someone, in the way that you live, that God is going to use your life, use you, to grant someone else repentance, Knowledge, relationship with God so that they will know Him as the true God, the Savior, the Lord. I'm wondering how many of us we view authority and submission this way. The reason why we submit, the reason why we consider God our authority, the reason why it it totally changes the way that we live. It's because the ultimate purpose of seeing God as our authority is so that someone else can see who God is. So that someone else can experience the love of Jesus Christ. So someone else can experience the the fruit, the goodness, the love, the joy, the freedom that can't come from anyone else, can't come from anywhere else. Is that what we're doing week to week, day to day? Is that how we're living our lives? And for any of us, we want to have that kind of authority, that example, that influence on other people. We have to be willing to submit to God's authority. We have to let and allow God's authority to totally change the way that we live, our lifestyle, from the inside out. I like this quote by Watchman Nee, a book called Spiritual Authority. He says, Only those who are subject to authority can be authority. Only those who are subject to authority can be authority. True, genuine authority. Real, loving, godly, biblical authority. Not the authority that we see out there in the world. But only when we are submitted to God, only when we consider God our ultimate authority, can we then have authority to say, you know what? I want you to experience Jesus Christ. Christ is true in my life. This is the example that you ought to follow. This is the way that I'm living and I want, you to, I want you to experience that. Even though I know things are going crazy in Hong Kong right now, you know what? The life I live, that, that is the best life ever. 
I don't know how many of us, we have colleagues, we have friends, we have family members, they're, they're looking at you and they're like, why are you praying? What, what good does prayer do? To a pre-Christian, someone who doesn't have any concept of God, prayer is a waste of time. And no wonder, by the way that we live our lives, they don't give us any credibility. It's a waste of time. They take things in their own hands. Because what you're doing is useless. Because you, you sit there and you say, oh, pray. But you just spend time on YouTube. You don't actually work a real day's work. You don't actually treat your family well. But what if our lives were lived in such a way that because of God's authority, we're saying, you know what, God? I want to do everything for you so that someone else can see my life and see that you're real. That because, man, our lives are lived, because we have joy, because we have hope, because we have... I was talking with the covenant men the other day, and, and, and we're just sharing, like, what is it that really draws people to know God? You know, regardless of circumstance. And, and we just started talking about examples of people who, they have the worst circumstances in their life, but they, they live the most joyful lives. They live the most happy lives. We were, we were talking about, there's a, some of you might know that, that YouTube star Nick Vucic, uh, Nick Vucic, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's, he's, uh, he's someone who, uh, I think he was born with certain, uh, you know, difficulties, um, but he doesn't see them as difficulties. He doesn't see them as hindrances. In fact, in his testimony, he shares that he speaks all over the world. He talks about how those things are actually what enabled him to really live out the full joy in Christ. And, and, and you, you see videos of him with the whole crowds and everyone's like weeping. And, and you can tell that there's something about him, there's some joy, some hope about him that you just can't find in regular people, quote-unquote regular people, because people think that because they have you know, all their limbs that they're quote-unquote regular. That that means nothing. And in fact, if anything, he is more happy, more joyful because he has this relationship with God. The way that he lives is more representative of God than so many others. Wondering, do we live lives like that? Where people see that the way that we live is full of joy, full of hope, full of love, full of kindness, gentleness, self-control. We submit to God more than anything else. And they're like, you know what, wow, the way that you live is something that I need. I need some of that in my life. Would not submitting to God be the most fruitful, most joyful, most freeing thing that we could ever do. And the reason why we submit to God ultimately is because God was the one who submitted himself first. God was the one. Jesus, he said, he had all authority, he had all power, he had all ability to stay in heaven, but what did he do? He submitted himself, he came down to this earth to be with us. He came down and he submitted himself to say, you know what, I'm going to be a human to be with the people, to die for them. Then he submitted himself to what? To the Jewish laws. He was obedient to them. Then he submitted himself even further. To what? To the cross. He submitted himself to whom? The Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, Lord, not my will done, but what? Yours be done. Jesus himself was a man who submitted himself under a godly authority. Even though he had the authority to take up his life, to do whatever, he could have called angels. He could have done anything that he wanted to do. But he willingly submitted himself under authority so that what? So that God's authority could be magnified and glorified. And when God's authority is magnified and glorified, what happened? We experienced the cross. We experienced Jesus Christ on the cross who died for us. A man who was God, man who didn't have to suffer, man who deserved none of that. He allowed Pilate, who was quote-unquote the authority in the Roman government, to crucify him. He allowed him to be punished for all of our sins, for all of our iniquities, for all of the ways that we rebel against God every single day. So that one day we could be free from every human authority, especially ourselves, our own selfishness, so that we can one day submit to God's authority more than anything else. And as we submit to God's authority, that's where we live this lifestyle that is so full of joy and freedom and hope. 
gentleness to all. We live lives that are attractive, that are hopeful, that are kind. And when we experience that, that's where 1 Timothy 4, verse 15 to 16 is going to come to life. This is Paul's exhortation to Timothy. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So ultimately, when we've been touched by the love of God, that we're going to see so many others experience God's love in the same powerful way that we've been able to experience that. And that's our hope. And that's our prayer even for Hong Kong. That's our prayer for our colleagues and our classmates, our families, our friends, even our enemies. We pray for them, that they will be able to experience the love of God that's in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why the one thing for this morning is a proper view of authority will change our life's priority. If we have this proper view of authority, it's going to totally change our life, our priority. And what, who are we going to prioritize utmost? First and foremost, it's going to be God. It's going to be God in our lives that is our ultimate authority, our ultimate priority in everything that we do. I'm going to give us some next steps for us to be able to live this out. The first is identify what your view of authority is. Identify it. What is it? Some of us, we're just, we just live life and we don't even know. We don't even know what drives us, what governs us, what we submit to, what we don't submit to. Find out for yourself, are you rebellious? Are you the submissive type? Are you somewhere in between? Are you a third example that I didn't mention? Where, where are you? What do you submit to? What are the authorities in your life? Reflect, spend some time journaling. Ask your friends, ask your LCG, ask your life members as they observe your life. Sometimes it's the most helpful for other people to say, you know what, just by the way that you live, the things you spend money on, you know what, it seems like this is the thing that you submit to ultimately in your life. Identify what your view of authority is. And secondly, is be a godly example to others. Let's, let's commit to it this week. Let's really commit to it this week. That the, God, the way I want to live, I want to live a life, and I know I can't do it by myself. I know just, just by pure human strength, I'm not able to live perfectly. But by God, you've chosen me. Chosen me as your son, as your daughter. I want to recommit to living an exemplary life every single day. I want to live a life that's reflective of you. I want to live a life that is bringing peace, bringing hope to this place, to conflicts, to situations, to petty arguments, so that all will see the God that I serve, ultimately. Can we stand together as we respond? As I was preparing this message, I, I was getting a little discouraged. I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about authority. It's not a fun talk, uh, topic to talk about. Why can't I talk about grace like last week? So much fun to talk about grace. Everyone loves grace, right? Amazing grace. So nice. So good. But I'm thankful to be able to talk about this. And I know there's so many other things about authority that I didn't cover that you can dig into the Bible there's so many other verses that talks about authority. But at least giving this small taste of what does it look like to submit to a godly authority. And the reason why it's so important is because whether we like it or not, we all submit to something. You might be that 1% where you're like, I don't submit to anything. You're just submitting to yourself, right? Your own whims, your own desires, your own selfishness. We all submit to something. And if we're not careful... If we're not precise about what it is that we submit to, then my question is, are we really living a life that is free? Or are we actually enslaved by that thing that we submit to, that we're not even conscious of? I'm wondering if this is what really hinders many of us from living out the, the abundant life that God wants us to live. Because there's so many things, so many authorities in our lives that we don't even recognize. And we've never really fully surrendered ourselves to God. So as we respond, that's, that's the thing that I want us to just start by doing. is just to begin confessing. Maybe God this morning has been 
bringing to mind certain things in our lives that have control over our lives, that we've been submitted to for so long that we didn't even recognize, we didn't realize. I want us to begin to confess some of those things and say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm sorry. Even though, man, I've, I've been professing that I'm a Christian for so many years, I, I've never really surrendered this part of my life. I never realized that, you know what, my real authority is are, are, are my friends or my future, my career, my grades, my relationship. Lord, help me to surrender those things so that you could be my ultimate authority. Because unless you are my ultimate authority, then I'm going to be enslaved to those things. I'm not going to be fully free. Just begin to confess those things and just let God just minister to you. Let God just speak to you. Because I really believe as we confess those things that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible promises. He is not a God that holds it against us. He is a God that is forgiving over and over and over and over again. His mercies are new every morning. He is a loving, a forgiving God and he is happy to take place as the ultimate authority in our lives. Can we do that? Can we just spend some time in response, in prayer, and just begin confessing to say, God, I'm sorry. God, Lord, take these things. Allow me to submit to you more than anything else. Let's respond together as we pray.